This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. please to Matthew chapter 2 and we're going to be going through a good part of um, just a good part of that chapter there so I hope that you will keep your Bibles open when it comes to the Christmas story I don't know what person or character you most closely identify with and I know it's not a 
fair question for you because you haven't had an opportunity to think about it. But let me just kind of direct that question towards me. And uh, but before I answer that, let me tell you who I really don't identify with. And and for those of you that tend to be smart alecks like Dick, let me quickly say that uh, I don't identify with the donkeys. Okay. Uh, I had a feeling some of you were probably headed that direction, but I don't identify with the donkeys. Secondly, I, I really can't identify with Mary. Never been pregnant. Um, I know that. Yeah, I, I know that makes you feel better. Um, how did that happen? I mean, I mean, even though she was pure of the emotions, I, I can't identify with with any anything about that. I, I can't really identify with Joseph either. I'm not a carpenter. At best, I can sometimes cobble some stuff together, but it's really, really primitive. Um, and, and besides that, really in Scripture, Joseph just disappeared. You know, the first few years of the life of, of Jesus, he, he just disappeared. And so we really don't have enough information about him to know if I can really identify with him. Uh, nor do I identify with the shepherds. I like the outdoors. I enjoy working with cows. But these shepherds who were probably really smelly, were more into sheep. And even though lambs look cute and cuddly, I have no desire to work with sheep. How about the wise men? Do I identify with them? Nope. Not rich enough, not wise enough. And at times I've been called a wise guy, but I don't think it was a compliment. How about baby Jesus? No, we don't want to go there. Not even close. Enough said there. So who do I identify with most? Well, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but since I can trust you and know that you won't tell a soul, the person that I think I most closely identify with in the Christmas story is the villain of Christmas, King Herod. Now, before you act too shocked and disappointed in me, let me just kind of implicate you as well. I believe there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. Now, who was King Herod? Well, King Herod was king of Judea during the time that Christ was born. And, and he wasn't elected by the Jewish people. Rome had stepped in. And even though he wasn't a Jew, they appointed him anyway, which did not set well with the Jewish people. Now, Herod was an incredibly smart and talented person. He could do so many things. He was known as a builder. He he had helped rebuild the Jewish temple. He had built fortress cities. He had built aqueducts. He had built a seaport and all other kinds of amazing structures. King Herod was also politically astute. He would have fit right in with our Congress there in Washington, D.C. Now, before we go to Scripture and, and read the biblical narrative of, of King Herod, let me bring in some historical facts that, that will tie into Scripture and, and help us to better understand. And, and don't forget that when, when it comes to, uh, you know, history and Scripture, true history, true Scripture, they fit together, Amen. as well as science. You know, the problem is we don't always have true history, we don't always have true science, we don't always have true Scripture. But, but if you get genuine history, genuine scripture, they tie together. Okay, as we look at some history, probably all of you back in high school or college studied the story of Julius Caesar. How many of you at least remember Julius Caesar? You know, probably most of us do. And, and since it's been a while, 
You know, a couple of years since uh, I was in college, this past week I, I spent time reviewing because I wanted to make sure that I gave accurate information. But during the reign of Julius Caesar, over time he became very unpopular. He evidently had uh, decreed a few things. He had come up with certain laws that didn't set too well with his constituents and, and especially the politicians of the day, the senators. And so one day, and some of you will remember at least part of this, on the Ides of March, March 15, 44 B.C., on the steps of Pompey's Theater, Julius Caesar was met by 60 or so senators holding daggers. They began to stab him in the neck and in the area of the head. And then Marcus Brutus joined in as well. And, and even though this statement is disputed whether or not Caesar said it, but it's in our textbooks, right before Julius Caesar fell down dead, remember the statement, et tu brute? How many of you remember that? Et tu brute? Uh, meaning you too, Brutus? Because Julius Caesar thought that Brutus was his friend. And he said, you too, et tu? Uh, many of you remember that whole story. So Julius Caesar died. And when he died, his, his nephew Octavius, or also known as Octavian, a, a, as well as his friend Mark Antony, decided to avenge his death. And, and so Mark Antony and Octavius went out and began to destroy all the people responsible for the death of Octavius' uncle, Julius Caesar. Well, as time went by, everyone realized that these two men... Mark Antony and Octavius, um, who were both alpha males, strong personalities, even though they were friends right now, they would probably eventually face off with each other, especially since there was only room for one sheriff in Rome, if, if you know what I mean. Well, over, these, over time, these two men became more and more powerful. And sure enough, some cracks began to form in their friendship. And, and as the conflict began to go public, different legions of the Roman army, as well as the private citizens, they began to choose sides. Well, this is where King Herod comes in. King Herod chose to befriend Mark Antony and his wife. And, and of course, Mark Antony had a very famous wife from Egypt. Anybody remember her name? Cleopatra. And, and the Roman citizens hated Cleopatra. They were afraid that she was going to try to unite Egypt and Rome, and they didn't trust her. But anyway, King Herod campaigned for Mark Antony and Cleopatra and, and sent them lavish gifts and, and hosted parties for them. Well, in 31 BC, the conflict between Mark Antony and Octavius escalated into a full-blown civil war. And, and unfortunately for King Herod, he bet on the wrong horse. Because Mark Antony and his allegiance were almost immediately defeated by Octavius. And, uh, and so Mark Antony and, and his wife Cleopatra ran for their lives to Egypt, where interestingly enough, Mark Antony committed suicide and, and shortly after Cleopatra followed suit. Well, that left Octavius or Octavian, Julius Caesar's nephew, to become Caesar Augustus, the very first emperor of Rome. Well, all of a sudden, King Herod in Judea realized, uh-oh, I bet on the wrong horse. You know, I, balked, I backed the wrong person. I backed Mark Anthony. He was defeated. I'm in trouble. Octavius is going to be after my hide. And so King Herod had one of three options. Number one, he could go ahead and kill himself and get it over with because that's probably what they were going to do to him. Number two, he, he could run, but they were going to find him anyway. Number three, he could just kind of hunker down and hope that they would 
get over it quickly. But Herod was so politically astute, he came up with option four. Now, let me just say that option number four was a dumb move. I mean, there's no way that option number four could ever work. It was pure foolishness. It was, uh, foolishness. It was a plan that was destined to blow up in his face. But King Herod was such a gifted politician that option number four actually worked. And let me tell you what he did. And this is absolutely nonsense. This is crazy. But King Herod got on a boat and went to the island of Rhodes where Octavian, or now Caesar Augustus, lived. And, and let me just kind of show you a... Uh, eh, let, let's go to the other map. I'm sorry. Um, so right here is the island of Rhodes. That's he got on a boat and went over there to the island of, of Rhodes. And, uh, and King Herod showed up unannounced. And he knocked on the door of the palace and introduced himself to the guards and, and asked to speak to the emperor of the Roman Empire and, well, Caesar's guards and, and those in charge of security at the palace, when they realized who it was, they, they, they had to be thinking, you're an idiot. I mean, why are you here? I mean, you're an enemy of the kingdom. You supported the emperor's adversary. And here you show up at our doorstep. We were just about to come after you. Thanks for saving us the hassle. Well, Caesar Augustus hears the commotion and you're saying, where are you going? Uh, you know, just, just hang with me, okay? It's going to tie together. And, and by the way, just kind of as an aside, uh, I got an email from somebody. We have people that listen in different places. Somebody listens to our services in Kansas City. And, and after the service, they emailed me. They said, you know, while, while you were going through what you were, I was shaking my head wondering where you were going. And I emailed back and said, I do the same thing. I shake my head and wonder where I'm going as well. And and, and, and so you're probably wondering that right now, but, but, but just hang with me. But, but Caesar Augustus, he hears the commotion and, and he asks, who's here? And, and his guards answer, well, sir, you're not going to believe this in a thousand years. Um, it, it's King Herod of Judea who supported your adversary, the late Mark Antony. Well, in his mind, Octavian, and, and now, of course, called Caesar Augustus, he had to be thinking something to the effect, you've got to be kidding. He is an idiot. But he said, send him in. And King Herod marched in and proceeded to turn on all of his charm, and he gave a spectacular speech in front of Caesar Augustus and all of his attendants. And here's what he said. He said, as you know, I was a friend of your enemy, Mark Antony. And it's no secret during the Civil War that I supported him until his death. But what this means, O Emperor, is that when I pledge my loyalty to someone, I am loyal to them until death. And O great Caesar, may you live forever. But I stand before you on this day, and in front of you and in front of your attendants, I now pledge my loyalty to you. Well, Caesar Augustus was caught off guard. And the strategy so amazed and impressed him that not only did he spare his life, but he left him king of Judea. Furthermore, gave him more responsibility, gave him Samaria, Jericho, Gaza as well. And he sent King Herod home with his blessing. But King Herod's strength ended up also being his weakness. Because he was so committed to controlling things, he was so committed to building his own legacy that he made one bad decision after another after another. I mean, to illustrate this, King Herod had ten wives. 
Men, this is not a time to say anything, okay? Just zip it. You know, if your wife is sitting by you, it, yeah, it doesn't sound very smart, but he did. And, and you can only imagine with 10 wives how many children he had. And as his sons began to grow up, he would identify one that was his favorite and he would write it in his will that that son would take over the kingdom when he died. And But then that son would invariably disappoint him, fall out of favor, and, and so he would have that son executed. And he would change his will and identify another son that would rule. But then that son would disappoint him. And, and same thing, he would be killed and King Herod would change his will yet again. So after a while, you can imagine that the sons were like, that's okay, dad. I really didn't want to be king anyway. That's all right. Let my brother do it. It's also said that he murdered so many rabbis in and around Jerusalem that the rabbis didn't even want to come close to the area. Because when King Herod got mad, nobody, not even the religious leaders were safe. He would do whatever he wanted to maintain control of his kingdom and his legacy. Now, I know I took a long time uh, for us to get to the biblical narrative, but as we begin reading the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, this historical information helps us to better understand King Herod. Now, in our lesson, King Herod is probably around 70 years old. He's a very sick man. It's believed that he had a kidney disease that was very painful. And we pick up our lesson where all of a sudden King Herod gets the most disturbing news he could ever get. He receives word that that five miles, that's right, five miles south of him, a new king has been born. And here's how Matthew leads us into the account. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or we called him wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these magi, they, they followed this star to the city of Jerusalem because it's the capital city. And they probably assumed that the king would be born there. Well, as you can imagine in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, heard what? The news about a king being born. He was disturbed. And catch this, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, now we can understand why, why King Herod was so disturbed, but, but the Bible says all of Jerusalem. Have you ever thought about that? Why was Jerusalem upset as well? Well, because when, when King Herod was disturbed, you better watch out. No one was safe. And especially now, as an older man that, that's sick and, and intense pain, and, and he's extra cranky. He's worried about his legacy, and... And Jerusalem knows that this makes for a very dangerous situation for everyone. The story continues, verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, so these are the most powerful Jewish leaders, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Now, you know, just kind of a time out here. I wonder if the wise men were thinking, uh, uh, Herod, you should know this. I, I know you're not a Jew, but by your position, you're kind of by default the king of the Jews. And so you should know this information. I mean, every little Jewish boy grew up knowing this. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And, and we won't read this to save time, but verse 6 gives the prophecy that had been given many, 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 many years before. Now, let me show you the map just uh, so you can see how close Bethlehem really was. 
Um, let's just go over here. You can't really tell, but there is Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem, and there is Jerusalem right there. So five miles to the south is, is Bethlehem. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the palace where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, this word worship, in modern church, in our setting today, we pretty much make it synonymous with singing. You, know, you go to a lot of churches and they say, well, okay, we'll begin our service with our time of worship or you know, at the encounter or different places, they typically, and when I was there, they, they will say, we begin our service with, and then everybody shouts out, worship, meaning singing. Worship is not singing. Singing can be part of worship. Worship is, is being in awe of someone and surrendering yourself physically and mentally and spiritually to them. And these very wealthy men who had traveled a long, long distance, probably around 900 miles from Persia, which would more than likely be the area that we call Iran today. But, but they came into the presence of a baby, and, and, and actually by now probably it was not a baby, probably he was more like a toddler. But, but they came into the presence of this toddler who had no actual physical power, but because of whom they believed this baby was, they dropped to their knees, surrendered themselves to him, and began to worship him. Well, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, five miles north, Herod is worried sick. He's probably asking, hey, has anyone seen those guys that came by looking for that new king? Are you sure they haven't already gone home and passed by and and maybe even said to his servants, hey, hey, go out there and stand in the road. Make sure they don't slip by without my knowing it. So here Herod is so worried about controlling things. His whole life has been built around preserve, protect, control, preserve, protect, control. So with his fists clenched. His body racked with pain, this kidney disease. Knowing that his time on earth is limited, he's still trying to preserve, protect, control. And that's why I say that there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. Because I think that if we were honest... We have a tendency to do the same thing. Preserve... Protect, control. As long as God doesn't make us change too much and we can still kind of control our lives, then we don't mind serving Him. You know, we don't mind going to church and, and reading our Bibles and saying a prayer because these things really don't change our lifestyle very much. But the whole idea of writing God a blank check with our lives... 
And listen to this, the whole idea of surrendering and saying, okay, God, the answer is yes. Now, what was the question? That doesn't come natural to us. I'm afraid there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Well, the story continues with two dreams. First to the wise men, Matthew 2, 11, I'm sorry, 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here's the second dream. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Well, how did Herod take that news? Well, we find out in verse 16, went over like a lead balloon, as we say. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And I might just add, when Herod was furious, people suffered. When Herod was furious, people died. And he, when, he, when he realized that he had been outsmarted first by the wise men and secondly by a baby and a couple of, of Jewish parents, he was furious and, and still trying to control things. Preserve, protect, control. He decided to take matters into his own hands. You know, and I even struggle talking about this. He gave orders that we can't even imagine. He basically said, hey, if no one's going to identify the location of this one little baby boy, then we're going to opt for the nuclear option. We're going to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who are two years old and under. And so one horrible day, Herod's soldiers rolled into the little tiny town of Bethlehem and they went into every single house in the city and every single farmhouse in the vicinity and they grabbed any little boy that looked like he could be at that age. They murdered him in front of his family. And if the family resisted, they also were murdered. We can't even comprehend that. Well, what happened to Herod? Probably within that same year, Herod died a terribly painful death because of his kidney disease. In fact, he had been suffering so much. It is said that he tried to commit suicide. And, and committing suicide in the first century was more difficult than it is today. There were no drugs to overdose on that would make it rather painless. There were no firearms to make it instantaneous. Committing suicide in the first century was very painful, but the pain of his disease was so bad that Herod tried to take his life. But evidently, as he was in the process of taking his life, his cousin walked in and prevented the suicide. And so Herod lived a while longer. But anyway, just before King Herod died, he gave a command. He said, I want you to round up all the wealthy, the influential, distinguished men in Jerusalem. Put them all in prison. And in the hour that I die, I'm giving you the command to execute all of them so that there will be mourning on the day that I die. Because he knew that when he died, there would be the party to beat all parties in the streets of Jerusalem. So he said, I want there at least to be some tears. Well, Herod died. They didn't follow his orders. They released all of those influential men. The text continues on, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. 
And in this little twist of history, this is so amazing. (laughs) You know, God has a way of equalizing things. Herod, known as Herod the Great, who did so many amazing things, in an incredible twist of faith that we believe was providential, King Herod, Herod the Great, became nothing but a footnote in the story of Jesus. And can you imagine talking to him in the last few hours he was alive and maybe saying, Hey, Herod, I've got some good news and some bad. You know, the good news is that 2,000 years from now, people will still be talking about you. In fact, Herod, all over the world, in languages you can't imagine, in places that haven't even been discovered yet, people will, will gather in rows and in circles and they're going to read a story about you. Herod, that's the good news. But King Herod, the bad news is that you're simply a B character at best. You're a sidebar. You're a footnote in the story of the toddler who became the king and the savior of the world. And, and more bad news, King Herod, people won't talk about what you built. They won't talk about the seaport you put on the map. They won't talk about the aqueducts. You won't be known in most circles as Herod the builder. You'll be known as Herod the butcher. And you were five miles away from the birth of the Son of God. And you missed it. You missed your opportunity to go and worship Him. And this morning, I wonder how many, how many people are like King Herod? Not far from Jesus. King Herod was only five miles from Jesus. Really today, however, there are, there are people that are even closer than that because Scripture says in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. So Jesus isn't five miles away from us. He's only a prayer away. He's only an act of obedience away. But it's amazing how many people are so close, but yet so far they know. They know about Jesus. They're good people. They have good intentions, but they're like Herod, so close, but yet so far. You know, I've often thought of this, that it would be tragic to go to hell from Eldorado Springs. You know, we're a community with 16 churches within the city limits and, and nearly 40 churches within a reasonable driving radius. And, and God has blessed us with so many different points of light. But, but so many of us, including myself at times, we're like here trying to preserve, protect, control. Preserve, protect, control. So, uh, why don't we make this the Christmas where we give it up, where we give up control to Jesus. You know, First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Can, can I read that again? That ought to fire you up right there. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Let me finish with this. Eighty years later, Herod is long gone. Jesus has lived his life, performed miracles, died on the cross. 
He rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father. Eighty years later, Caesar is long gone. Tiberius is gone. Nero is gone. The temple has been completely destroyed and, and basically just scraped off the temple mountain. And all of what Herod spent so much of his life developing, it's all gone. And eighty years later, John the Apostle, who watched Jesus do things no one had ever done before. John, who watched... Jesus died. John who peered into an empty tomb. John who saw a resurrected Savior. He's an old man now. And he decides to sit down, led by the Holy Spirit, and begin to summarize it. And here's what he said. In him, John chapter 1 verse 4. In him, this baby of Bethlehem who grew up to be his friend and Savior. In him... And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And so right now, John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He's reminiscing. It looks like the Romans have won. It looks like ancient Judaism has gone forever. Yet he looks back on that experience and he says, You know what? Despite all of that, that light continues to shine. And Jim spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. You know, the darkness has not understood it. Or the darkness has not swallowed it up. Herod's light is long gone. Caesar Augustus' light is long gone. But Jesus, the light of the world, still shines. And that brings us to you and to, uh, to, to all of us today. What will your story be? Will you take your cue from the wise men? Or will you take your cue from Herod? Will your story be a story of worship or will it be a story that you spent your whole life like Herod trying to build a kingdom instead of accepting an invitation to participate in the kingdom? Will your story be that you clung as tightly as you could to all the things that eventually you would have to give away anyway? Or or will it be a story of someone who surrendered everything because you realized it wasn't yours to begin with? Will your story be a story about my way or God's way? Will it be a story about my will or thy will? And God allows us to determine how the story will end. God has created us as people with a will, with a choice. He will not force us. And so this Christmas season, I think it would be the most amazing Christmas season ever if we would just give it up. For those of us that are so bent on trying to preserve, protect, control, preserve, protect, control. To to control our legacy, to control our lives, to control everything around us. And wouldn't it be amazing to just be able to say, okay, God, here it is. I give it to you. And as the wise men bowed down, they came 900 miles to worship Jesus Herod wouldn't come five and I pray that this season there would be that level of yieldedness, obedience and if you haven't taken that step of just releasing control to Jesus would you do it today as we pray Lord Jesus Oh, we're such control freaks. Lord, we have a tendency to, because we think we're pretty good, we think we're pretty smart and pretty wise, we have a tendency to think, you know, I um, God really needs me in this. And 
We try to chart our lives. We try to control our families. We try to control our work environment. We try to control our church. And Lord, really, none of this belongs to us. The church belongs to you. Our families belong to you. If we have a job, Lord, it's in your hands. Lord, we're not even really our own boss. But yet we, we think we are. We think that we can control things and make, make a better life for ourselves than yielding to God. Lord, I pray first of all for uh, the pastor of this church. I pray for myself that you would help me to release control, that I would not be such a control freak. And God, that I would just release myself, my family, this church that I would release it to you and Lord let me just fall on my knees and worship you Lord I pray then for everyone here today Lord help us to give up control Lord help us not to build our kingdom but we would just participate in your kingdom not my will but thine God let this Christmas be different just because because it's the Christmas where we gave up control to you thank you Father for your word Lord thank you for allowing us to have a little bit of a historical view that ties into scriptural view and Lord uh, take us from this place looking to you, depending on you, following you. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.